Hey everyone, we're going to be doing something a little different this week. Unfortunately, I was having a bit of computer issues, and long story short, I lost the audio for this week's story. Don't worry, that episode will be out next week as a regular episode of Haunts. But for now, I have a special treat for you all. Last week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with some amazing podcasters to discuss the mysteries of the Uinta Basin. The Paranormal Project is a collaboration between myself, as well as Farah from The Conversation Cabin, Amanda from One Nothing Podcast, and Vicky from Mrs. Spooky Obsessed. Through this collaboration, we discuss some of the most fascinating topics in the paranormal. We usually do this as a live event, but in case you missed it, or if you just want to see what it's all about, all you need to do is stay tuned for a replay of our most recent episode of Tuesday Top Terror, Mysteries of the Uinta Basin. Make sure to check out my co-host, I will have them linked in today's show notes. And keep an eye out for our upcoming series, entitled The Virginia City Chronicles. It will be out sometime next month. Thank you again for your understanding in regard to the tech issues that I've been having. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with The Paranormal Project. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. All right, we are going to get started. So, hey, hey, all you listeners out there, fans of Courtney from Haunts, Vicky, Mrs. Spooky Obsessed Podcast, Amanda from One Nothing Podcast, and of course, myself, Farah. Welcome to the Conversation Cabin Podcast. So glad that you can all join us. It's about that time to break forth the rhythm and the rhyme. Now I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's just us, the Paranormal Project, coming to you live for Tuesday Top Terror. We are so glad that you can join us for this discussion. And I'm putting a little disclaimer on this episode. So last time that we did, it was our first episode. And uh, we kind of, we we each wrote us a little story on of course as you remember if you haven't joined us if you didn't join us the first episode um what we did was um each one of us had a storyline okay so one of us had skinwalker ranch one of us had blind frog ranch one of us had stardust ranch and one had skinwalkers in general because what we were doing was we were exploring the mysteries of the Uinta Basin. Now, if you know the Uinta Basin, you would know that it is uh, an area out in Utah where the Ute Nation, the Navajo, um, a few other Indian tribes had resided long ago. Tons of petroglyphs with, you know, aliens, Bigfoot, writing um saucers hairy men wolves things like that what i wanted to do was i wanted to bring a story about all the ranches and what their connections are to each other because as we discussed the last time skinwalker ranch and blind frog ranch are only about five miles away from each other 
And uh, what we're going to do um, once everybody introduces ourselves is, again, if you did not join us for the first episode, we're just going to do a very little summary, each one of us, about what we went over the first episode. So that way you can at least caught up so when we do this continuation, you're not lost. So um, what we're going to do, and again, um, Vicki from Mrs. Spooky Obsessed is not here yet. She had a little bit of personal errands to run. Families first, as we say. So we're going to get started. Now, what I'm going to do is go around and I want to give the chance for my beautiful co-host, Courtney and Amanda. Um, I think that it is only right that they get uh, five minutes or less to tell you all who they are, what their podcast is, what it's about, and where you can find them. So let's shoot to Amanda. Hi-yo. You go first. All right. So um, lovely to be here first off, Farah. Thank you again for getting this all put together. Really excited to go over everything that I've learned um, throughout this. So my name is Amanda. I uh, run One Nothing Podcast, which is a relatively new podcast as I am a relatively new podcaster. Um, but I enjoy it and I like it. Um, our podcast features mostly on different victims of uh, horrible fatalities. They range mostly from animal attacks and freak accidents, but we do pepper in a few, um, like, you know, more natural deaths and murders and things of that nature. Um, but we kind of set ourselves apart a little bit for most podcasts in which we focus on the victim and the victim's life and details more so than the, the murderer or the reason for their death. Um, so we kind of put a lot of research and effort into getting really accurate information that we can put out there. I really pride myself on making sure that everything within our episodes is reliable uh, and, of course, respectful to the victims. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, there is some pretty nasty content on there. We do have a lot of triggering subjects as far as the way that these people meet their fate. But if you can handle that and you can handle some raunchy jokes along the way, then I think we're definitely a podcast for you. Uh, you can find us on, right now we're on all of the major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, um, Podlisten, um, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, all of those. Uh, you can also find us at our host site, which is uh, onenothing.buzzsprout.com. And you can find all four of our episodes. We have a fifth one coming up um, next Tuesday. So really excited to release that. It's going to be a doozy, as I say. Um, but that's about it. I've been met with some really great support uh, with Farah and Courtney and Vicky and, you know, all the other podcasts that have reached out to me recently to show some love for a new podcaster. It's really awesome. This is a really inclusive community and I'm really appreciative to be a part of it. So that's all I got. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. And hey, you, if uh, you want to, Amanda, write down in the chat your link and um, where else you can be found besides your main link. That way at least it's typed out and everybody can see it. Yeah, it's not letting me type anything into the little subject that I'm afraid to restart that because I'll lose you. So I'll just post it. Oh gosh, it. yeah. Yeah, we'll just, um, go check we'll us out on pass. Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> you can pass it around. Um, but yeah, it's One Nothing Podcast and we're on Instagram and TikTok for our social media right now. Awesome, thank you, Amanda. All right, so next we have Courtney from Haunts Podcast. Courtney, take it away. Hi, friends. Also, just to kind of piggyback off of Amanda, um, her next episode is a doozy. It's one of my favorite stories, so make sure to check her out because it's going to be wild. 
But anyways, I'm Courtney from Haunts Podcast. If you don't know me or have heard of my show, um, essentially it's a narrative style podcast that takes, I like to say skeptical look sometimes at different paranormal stories. So anything from cursed objects to haunted houses to sometimes cryptid and ufology stuff. We have yet to get to ufology, but I have it on my list. Um, So anything like that, we kind of take a look at both sides. And I do my best to tell a story in kind of a narrative sense. So starting from the beginning or the earliest part that I can find in terms of that specific location or haunt, as I call them, um, going all the way through till today, as well as you know, what kind of spirits might be haunting there or the activity that they claim is there. But I also look at the sides of this may possibly be um, not the case. And I also look at different theories of paranormal research through throughout all of my episodes. Um, I am a paranormal researcher by trade, I'd like to say. Um, so essentially for most of my adult life, I have been researching the paranormal to a more in-depth degree than most people, I would say. And I like to think that that comes into the podcast. Um, so if you want to check me out, it's it, the episodes come out every Monday. Um, I have a website. It's called hauntscast.com. You can also find me on social media at hauntscast. And I'm on every major podcast outlet, like Amanda said as well. So you can check me out there. And thank you, Farah, for having us on your show. It's always a lot of fun. And you give us a lot, like, the warmest welcome every time we're here. So really appreciate you. Thank you. No problem. You guys deserve it. Um, and, and I will have to say, I listen to both Amanda and Courtney's podcast and you want to talk about people that actually do a deep dig for the facts, for the details. These two are your girls because there's so many podcasts out there that just will write you know, just about the story and what everybody already knows. But these girls go into finding things that maybe aren't said in the normal narrative of the story or whatever was on mainstream media or whatever it is. But these girls do an excellent, excellent job. So definitely go check out Amanda from One Nothing and Courtney from Haunts Podcast exceptional exceptional storytellers um and anybody that is joining us that are any of courtney's and amanda's or vicky's listeners um again my name is farah i'm the host of the conversation cabin podcast um and really my i kind of go along with what courtney's is it's a narrative type style um but it also varies with me if i if it's a story that i can bring alive with bringing out the characters doing voices for them i do that because i you know i feel it adds an extra oomph to the story it kind of brings it alive makes you feel like you can really see it in your mind um but you know there are stories that you don't have much detail when you research about what they said or um you know a detailed crime scene that you can kind of act out But, you know, I try to still change up the music, give you a great vibe. Um, And yeah, I really do live in a cabin. It really is spooky. (laughs) And it's I live in the paranormal bubble of eastern Tennessee. If anybody is familiar with that, it is where 
numerous sightings of Bigfoot, numerous sightings of Dogman has been seen. Um, where we live, there's actually tons of ley lines underneath us. So it's that's supposed to be the reason that a lot of paranormal activity starts here. But I also go through that on my podcast because I have caught Bigfoot house, I've caught tree knocks, I've caught dark shadows in my front yard. Um, there's things in my house. Uh, we think that something big, beastly like a Sasquatch actually banged on the front of my house two times in less than 10 minutes one evening. So again, I do my own investigations and research into the paranormal on my property. So I will be bringing those as I do that to my podcast as well. But you can find me on all platforms, Apple, Google, Audible, Amazon Music, iHeart, um, Spotify, everywhere. So, and um, other than that, so um, as I was going back in the beginning, I said that I wanted to give a little disclaimer. So I was beginning to say that what we had done last time is we had gone through more like an independent, everybody reading their stories at the road. I felt like I wanted to change that up this time because as you, the listener, I feel that you want to be brought into the conversation with us like you're here. You know, I want people to say, oh, wow, I, I would have wanted to ask that question or I didn't know that and hear us discuss as we tell a little bit about the story. So what we're going to do is start with um, Amanda again. Now, what we're going to do first for our listeners that either A, did not get to join last time or B, after we got kicked out four times, did not feel like joining us back four times. Not your fault. Completely understand. But Amanda is going to first go through a little summary to catch you up about what she went through on that first episode and then go ahead and blend into all of today's info. So Amanda, you wonderful lady, you take it away. All right. So for those who were with us last time, this might be a little bit of a brief repeat, but I just want to summarize for those of us who uh, weren't here. So my section was done on a particular property that lies in Buckeye, Arizona, and it's called Stardust Ranch. And my story particularly falls upon a couple who had owned the ranch for the majority of its time uh, that we know of. Um, Their names are John and Joyce Edmonds. Um, John and Joyce are pretty unique in the sense that they both had very professional lives. John was a psychiatric therapist. Uh, Joyce was a former FBI employee, and they were both very like widely respected throughout the neighborhood and their community in general. Uh, John and Joyce also had a bleeding heart, much like myself. So they started a dog and horse rescue on their 360-acre property that they purchased, and they purchased that in 1996. So. I won't go through all the details again because we'll be here for a hot minute, but they pretty much noticed immediately that there was something a little strange about Stardust Ranch. Their first sign that things were awry uh, was coming to the property and realizing that the old tenant had left a lot of their belongings behind. So when he had had it out with the real estate agent in order to get them to come retrieve their belongings, he came to check back and found that everything was in the pool, piled almost eight feet high out of the 10 foot pool. So that was kind of the first thing that raised an eyebrow, but he left it alone. Him and his wife continued starting their rescue on this property uh, and a variety of other strange things would occur. Mostly just, you know, lights that would flash around and little sounds that they would hear and what sounded like critters running around in in a nearby room to their home. 
Uh, but most notably was one evening where John was kind of canvassing his property and walking around a little bit. And a man that was dressed all in black approached him and said that he had lived on the property and that he had been uh, basically assumed the responsibility of killing all the monsters that were on the property. And John obviously met that as any normal person would. Um, he said, you're crazy, get off my property, which is probably what I would have said um, in not so many words. <laughs> so that kind of prompted the kick of all of the strange occurrences that would occur at Stardust Ranch uh, under John and Joyce's ownership of the ranch. So throughout their time there, throughout the several years, again, they bought this in 1996, uh, they had seen, you know, several instances of flashing lights and, and what looked like light bulbs that would zoom around irrationally with no pattern. They began to suspect there was something a little extraterrestrial about them due to the nature of there's no man-made object that we can make that we know of uh, that can behave the way that the lights that they were seeing in their property would behave. They also noticed that they, some of their animals were actually becoming under attack. They had woke up one morning to find several of their horses mutilated, uh, missing very specific parts of their bodies, like their eyes and their tongues, which we did talk episode one a lot about, um, about the similarities between that and some things that Farah had pointed out in her case that she will talk about. Um, they kind of wrote this off as an animal attack at first, but it became a little bit more consistent with the deaths waking up to their animals being mutilated and dead. Uh, so they did take some researchers in and have them kind of survey the area. And they pretty much deduced that the mutilated animals' wounds were not consistent with an animal attack. So still things get a little bit stranger. Joyce and John soon wake up and they have a lot of different inflictions on their bodies, most notably where these triangular lesions and then some strange skin, I don't even want to call it disease, but almost like a pattern on their skin that was ingrained into their tissue. And it resembled that of radiation poisoning. If you've ever seen somebody with that illness, they very much um, manifest skin lesions and things of that nature. It almost um, sounds like, um, like chicken pox was the way that I was picturing it. I don't know if that's a good way of describing it, but... For sure. And some of the photos that I saw pretty much resemble that along with almost like if you've ever laid on like a, a weird texture for too long and then you lift your arm up and you've got a pattern emblazoned into your skin from that it looked sort of like that but it, it wasn't a pattern it wouldn't go away it was marks that were left on his skin that happened during his sleep that would stay for oh wow that's weird. very much so so they had a lot of different physical attributes that were happening as well that they were pretty much summarizing and saying, this is something that we don't quite understand at this point. And again, this is still early on uh, as, as they're starting their lives and their rescue at Stardust Ranch. So the pivotal moment kind of comes this one night when they have three re rescue Rottweilers who wake up in the middle of the night making a whole lot of ruckus and they realize that there is a small gray being, which they describe to be very similar to what most people commonly understand as a gray or a typical alien. Uh, very round shaped domish head with large black deep eyes, slender, thin body, not a lot of muscle mass, not a lot of you know fat index on them whatsoever. Uh, but they could only surmise that that's what they were seeing and their three Rottweilers were attacking it. And it was about three feet in height and they called their dogs off without incident, but within three days, the dogs had dropped dead. And um, it didn't seem at first like there was much going on that they could tell, but throughout some additional investigation that I've done into the case, they actually began dropping weight at a rate 
unlike any kind of medical illness that you would ever assume could be. It was just astounding how they would be losing 10, 15 pounds a day. So if I might cut in real quick, Amanda, remember what we talked about on the first episode was about the dog's issue with yours. And then remember um, the Shermans had dogs and they ran in front of them um, when they were taking a walk in the field and they were pretty much liquefied into the ground like a burn spot like i i think i said last time the movie um national lampoon's christmas vacation (laughs) when the cat eats the christmas light and gets fried under the the chair and he's basically like a hole in the ground after that (laughs) (laughs) with just the white hair around it well that's how apparently these dogs are i'm only interjecting to say that because again since we're kind of going over what we went over in the first episode it was there was another similarity that we had picked out with you in mind besides what you just said earlier is that the dogs got killed and liquefied they got sick something was wrong i just find that weird it is weird and although these dogs didn't quite seem to liquefy it was very strange that three days went by and all three of them pretty much simultaneously died Uh, and they lost massive amounts of weight that were unlike any kind of medical illness could ever produce i mean this would have to be a month of a dog starving to reach the level of emaciation that these three dogs reached in mere hours it was extremely untelling and they of course that kind of was a pivotal moment for the Edmonds and they're you're like we're done you're coming after our animals at this point all of this weird phenomenon is happening we're being attacked in our sleep we're waking up with all these marks with bleeding holes that look like needle holes in their arms uh poor Joyce was waking up with what she was assuming was some kind of sexual assault uh injury with wounds in her genitalia and up against the top of her thigh just very uncomfortable situation for a home that you've invested all of your finances into living in so not a good situation whatsoever um no no no. uh poor john is just done he's watched his wife been terrorized his himself he goes out and he gets some weapons he's like we're we're not doing this anymore we're going to be protecting ourselves so he goes out and he gets some handguns, some shotguns, a couple assault rifles, some knives, and then his favorite uh, weapon that he has, uh, some samurai swords, which he keeps several of them around his home. He has one above a, a small bar. He has another one in his living room, just hanging on the wall for when the opportunity should arise. He has it ready to defend himself. Um, so something that we discussed very briefly during the last episode was that on one of John's multiple encounters with one of, we're gonna call them the Greys for the sake of lack of a better term, I don't want anyone to think that I'm claiming outright that's what they are because nobody really knows. But for the sake of consistency and easy listening, we're going to just refer to them throughout here uh, as greys. So poor John wakes up in the middle of the night, his wife's being attacked. Um, He actually, with the samurai sword wielded in his hand, he goes at the creature and he stabs it, what he assumes is fatally. uh, And then the creature retreats and he discovers a small piece of flesh that was left behind from the sword's blade but the creature otherwise his physical body is is gone he doesn't know what happened as far as he thinks it just disappeared so all he's got is a small piece of flesh that he collected with the blade of the sword that he used and he sends it out to the um, university of michigan laboratory for testing and there was a paranormal researcher who also was a biophysicist physicist i'm sorry 
um, and his name was Mr. Levengood. And the reason Mr. Levengood is kind of notable in the story is that him and John Edmonds had communication for several years regarding the sample that he collected, all of the evidence he was collecting, all of his personal experiences on the ranch, as well as that of his animals. So he was pretty credible in the eyes of Mr. Levengood as far as, okay, you know, he didn't just come up with the sample out of thin air, something's going on over here. So he runs a few sample tests on that sample um, and he finds out the results were pure hemoglobin, which is a substance that is not an organic substance on earth. Uh, it is, but not when it's 100% entirely comprised of such. Um, he kind of also learns that the same tissue had been collected at other sites. So that's, you know, something that's a little unsettling, of course. Um, but he just continues on with his life of trying to run his rescue. He's being now harassed by the media and about a lot of people who think that he's just kind of saying all of this to make some kind of gratification or to prosper off of it in some way, which is really unusual because from what I could find, every interview that the Edmonds ever did with any media outlet or any investigator, paranormal or otherwise, they all did them for free. So if he was wanting to profit off of this, why would you do things for, like this for free and not actually collect the profit? So that was something you, that I pointed out as weird. And another, that's this is the third thing that we found the connection with Amanda. If you remember, just like you said, the whole mutilation thing, Skinwalker Ranch, same thing, the cattle mutilations, um, no horses or anything, but um, I think there was sheep before that was, you know, killed. It's like, I don't know what it is with these farms, or not farms, but um, ranches where they go after all of these animals why would they why would they take reproductive stuff from animals what would be the reason for that for all these mutilations with the same things tongue eyes reproductive and like the anus area right and it also brings some more significance to joyce's claims because she felt that a lot of her attacks had been sexual in nature um, maybe not so as far as the aliens might not necessarily have been trying to have sex with her, but they were definitely investigating her reproductive system. Uh, like I said, she had had a lot of injuries to her inner thighs and her genitalia. That was something that John really didn't have to deal with. He would have in injuries elsewhere, but not necessarily in, in his genitals, which is something Joyce experienced quite often, um, which is just terrifying as a, as a woman as well to experience oh, yeah. right. without any cause of what is causing it or any ability to stop it you know at least if it's a human you have actions you can take how what actions can you take against a being that you don't see until you're asleep right it's exactly. also probably worth noting i've been listening to like a lot of ufo content recently um not recently just in general but it seems to me that anytime like any human reports an abduction it's like they're trying to do some sort of experiment on their reproductive system. Like they want to know how carbon-based life forms, for lack of better wording, reproduce, if that makes sense. Or at least that's kind of what I've picked up on. So it's it's likely that she's not wrong there in terms Perfectly of her assumption. Said. Perfectly said. And I agree. Because if you remember the story of Benny and Barney Hill, remember they were kept, they were abducted and they were kept alive. And Betty had a very long, sharp needle-like um, tool, I guess you want to say, 
uh, that went directly into her abdomen. She screamed for it not to go in her abdomen, but the the alien, the gray, of course, um, telepathically told her that, oh, it's not going to hurt. But it did hurt her, like, extremely. And there is many other people. There was something I just watched not too long ago where there was a bunch of women that were abducted. They were pregnant. They were they they had the baby, and then the they the aliens were giving the babies to them for a short period of time up there in the spaceship for them to coddle it, nurture it, have that bonding experience, and then the women are sent back to Wait. planet Earth with nothing. Wait, so they were like they gave birth to these children up on yep. the spaceship, and yep. then they were just that's so beyond like messed up sorry I, I don't know why i was thinking like they were taken up into like a spacecraft and like i guess examined and then came back and had these children it's obviously a whole other ball game if there know. is there is a girl i'll have to find what the um what the one is that i watch it's actually fairly new just in the past couple months it's a girl with long dark hair and she tells a story, and I'm telling you, she's a professional. She's like in, uh, I think, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think she's like a healthcare professional or maybe like a lawyer. She's something very high up that she makes a lot of money. Dude, there's no way that she would say this if it wasn't true because she would be discredited, kicked out. You know what I mean? She's not going to seem like she's crazy when she's in charge of doing something very important in her life. But she's not the only one. There is another. I'll, I'll find it because it's on Discovery Plus. But I don't want Amanda to get, you know, too far off track by what I'm trying to say. Sorry, Amanda. I'm just trying to kind of pick out for everybody the reason why we were doing this whole series thing is because there are so many connections between these ranches the mutilations uh people that have these experiences with grays especially in amanda's story right it carries off from the ranch because it happens to normal people that don't own ranches though too so i'm sorry no, amanda no, go I'm ahead sorry. <laughs> i was also gonna say too amanda it seems like because correct me if i'm wrong the owners of stardust ranch were pretty like high up in their field like they were pretty credible right they absolutely were very credible and that's something that makes this so unique is that you have two people with such high profile visibility in their professions and they they didn't go public with any of this for like a good couple of years because they were afraid of the repercussions and what they would look like on their professionalism and their professional lives so that's something that i think lends credibility to this is the fact that it wasn't like day one they went to the press with their story this is something that they kept to themselves for years until it became so overbearing that they, they felt they had to say something to get it out there. See, that's what I don't like about when people that maybe not necessarily don't have an open mind, they, they probably have an open mind, but only on the things that they want to have an open mind on. But if you bring something like that to someone that is closed-minded, they're like, well, 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 they're just they're just saying it to get, you know, some reputation or some money or this or that. 
Dude, somebody doesn't wait for eight to 10 years to tell a damn story. If they want money, they're going to come right out. They're going to call the media. They're going to call everywhere they can to get newspaper reporters to come out, be on TV. But when someone hides it for years, it means that if I say this, someone's going to look at me like I'm fucking crazy and they don't say anything. And I know all about stardust and blind frog and the people that live there and let me tell you those people that you're doing your story on amanda those people are some solid 100 credible believable people in my eyes hands down and you know i really have to agree because that was a point that i was actually going to touch on is you know we all know my podcast differs a little bit than what you guys typically do you guys are pretty invested in like paranormal in some aspects, I don't do too much of that. So I maintain a natural kind of skeptic point of view about a lot of stuff. And it kind of takes a good deal to convince me, you know, that this is something real. Uh, but there was some more things that stood out throughout my research that just helped aid to, to their credibility in my eyes. Uh, one was that a reporter previously back in the mid 2000s, like 2014, I believe, reached out to the Maricopa Sheriff's Office, which is the nearby county that they live in, to ask if they had ever been in any trouble legally, if there was any doubt in their mind, that, you know, towards the credibility of their claims. The Sheriff's Office said that they had a very good rapport with the couple. They had never been in any trouble legally. Uh, and in fact, they had done everything possible to cooperate with, you know, county officials whenever the need ar arose. So no trouble legally that you know does give you some credibility in terms of okay we know you're not just some some rando out there uh you don't you don't have a history of mental illness that we can find you don't have a history of trouble with the law that we could find you have nothing to motivate you to want to make any of this up um something else that was weird was that at some point during an interview joyce had made the statement to a reporter that she had told john basically that if you ever, you know, see me being abducted, you have every right to shoot me in order to prevent me from being abducted. I want you to do it. And that was something that struck a lot of people as just highly uncomfortable. Immediately, it started all these speculations that maybe John is the one who's assaulting her in her sleep and she's waking up and she's kind of just going off of what John's saying and just believing what John's saying almost absentmindedly. But that brings another thing up. John repeated that statement several times in different interviews that she had actually said that because she was that afraid of the extraterrestrial as we know it beings. Now, if you were being speculated to be the one who was assaulting your wife, why would you go forth with repeating that information in different interviews when you knew that wasn't necessarily painting him in a good light? But it didn't stop him from wanting to get all of the truth out. And that's all that he stuck to throughout his life was just repeating hey this is honest this is what happened here's photos of you know some lights that we saw in the sky here's photos of what we think is a portal that's opening above our ranch and i have a lot of those photos that i'll send to you ferris so you can post them to your instagram and see what um our followers think of it uh, but that's just you know why be so public about everything if you're in it for money or if you're in it for cloud just doesn't well, make doesn't make a lot of sense I don't know if have you I don't know if you have seen the video okay so there was a show um, and on that show they showed a video of what's the gentleman's name again Amanda John Edmonds yes okay they showed a video and when he was doing a video chat with someone 
there was actually a little three foot gray that peeked around the corner behind his office chair. So I did it see was... that video and the only reason I didn't include it in my research is that there's a lot of skepticism by John Edmonds himself that that I know. planted like a toy or something in the video. So that's still very much up in the air. I, t I just didn't include it because John cast out on it. And right. I would imagine of all people, he would probably have the most accurate sense of what's going on. So I didn't include it just because of that reason. But good point that that definitely is something that exists out there. There is definitely a video with that content. Right. And it was just weird. I just thought because, you know, I'm like you. I still, even though I believe in a lot, there's some things that I'm still skeptical about. You have to be, you know, but you got to throw everything out there. So I just wanted to let everybody know if they wanted to try to look up that video, they can make their own decision. But it does show that there is a little uh, three foot alien you know what I mean and it's like well if you're if you're faking that well then are you faking everything else are you really you know was was there really a saucer coming down and your wife was floating out the door and you grabbed your AK-47 and shot tons of rounds like you know you it, it's just to me everything that they said is completely true because I look at them and I watch how they talk about the story i don't know if you're like me but when when i watch someone tell a story about something i've watched enough people do that what's the um the body language people like doctors that do the body language where they can tell and if i see someone sitting there looking up or like up diagonal too much that means that they're recalling from memory if they look down then that means they're trying to gather something to elaborate on. And I've always seen John, he's always looking straight at you or looking up like trying to recall from memory. Yes, and he does do that. I think where the confusion with the video comes into play is that John didn't take that video himself. It was actually shot by a group that was there to investigate and they later sold the evidence for money. So that's where his kind of hesitation to believe it 100% lies is because they did end up turning around and profiting off of the footage. So he's not convinced, he, he's, it's, he's open to it. He said it is very much still possible that they caught it. It's also just as much possible in his opinion that they manifested that, or not yeah. manifested, I'm sorry, but manufactured that in order to be able to sell their footage for a little bit more. Because something unique is that a lot of people go to this property for an experience they don't come out for everybody. It's very seldom that they'll come out for anyone aside from the Edmonds. And I think that's just because they live there and they've been there for so long that they're kind of right. Well, there's a lot of places where people do go. They go ghost hunting and, you know, they go there because someone referred them to it. And oh my gosh, they got, you know, they got stuff happening all night, all the time. They got so much evidence. And then you got those people that went in that were referred by their friends and they sat there all night and nothing happened. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just the vibe that you give off. There are so many things, but I think with the Edmonds, it's those things know them. Just like you said, they feel comfortable with them. They, you know, apparently they're not looking to hurt them, like kill them or anything. Granted, I know that, you know, she went through a lot of things, but it's just your stories are always so good because you give so many details.
Well, I appreciate that. And I just want to follow up with, um, I do have a couple minutes of an interview that was done by um, another podcast a few years back with John Edmond. But before we go into that, I just want to mention, I did, after some substantial research, I did find the actual forensic report that Peter Davenport, um, who also ran National UFO Commission at that time, um, had produced. And this was ran through the University of Michigan, who reviewed the results and were perplexed with the results. So I'm gonna read this verbatim from the report. The sample contained tiny segmented fibers, that of a cloth, but not cloth. It was a cell structure unlike human cells. There were no antibodies present, and it almost resembled the molecular structure of grass. The sample did match over a dozen other samples that were collected over the span of 30 years at various sites of basically mutilated animals. Um, the interesting thing about that is Peter Davenport was became very invested into the property. Him and John went back and forth for years about the next steps as far as getting the evidence out there. Um, Peter really, really wanted to go national with the evidence right away. And John was like, well, hold on a minute. You know, after all, we live here and we run Hopeful Hooves, which is their animal rescue out of this property. We can't exactly have the nation coming out to look for UFOs. So they um, go back and forth a little bit and Peter's like, yeah, no, I get that. You know, that makes sense. So John's like, um, great. So like we can just release it ourselves and then we can go forward. Well, strangely, that didn't even have to be a concern because uh, Mr. Davenport dropped off the face of the earth like he never existed. And John to that day never knew what happened. Uh, he did go to find out that Mr. Davenport passed away, and I think it was 2013, but there was several months prior to that where he did not communicate with John at all. Uh, and that's really exceptional considering they communicated very frequently for, it seemed like months, almost a year, um, back and forth about the results that he had obtained. And then he had went back and got further results. Um, something interesting about the samples that they collected was that it was a very translucent, almost like a waxy kind of a texture. And because of that, the majority of the inside of John Edmonds' home was like a brick. And for some, it was very strange the way he worded it, but he worded it almost like it would soak into the brick, but it would sit on top of some kind of a more smooth, less porous surface. So it was very strange. And a lot of the time when they were trying to collect samples, that's what he alleged was the reason it was so difficult was that the brick essentially just soaked it up. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of anything to be able to, to gather after the fact, unless it was on a hardwood floor or on a smooth surface. Um, so that was kind of bizarre. Now, is so, this was this the report, Amanda, from the the scientist or whatever that ended up dying under mysterious circumstances? Yes. So that was W.P. Davenport. He did die under mysterious circumstances, and then before his death, he did pass on the sample and the results to the University of Michigan. They reviewed it. They said the same thing. The cells are basically unidentifiable and they never went any further with it because the next step would have been um, to run an additional lab analysis to verify the results. And that was going to cost about $12,000. So at that time, John had reached out to a company called Coast to Coast, who they had communicated with many times in the past. I think Coast to Coast and Peter Davenport had some kind of an affiliation, if I'm not mistaken, because they had a very, they worked in cahoots with each other quite a bit. And uh, quite abruptly, coast to coast, almost simultaneously, also stopped their communication. And then after initial interest, they declined to host a fundraiser, which was one of John Edmonds' desires, to run a, host a fundraiser publicly to collect the $12,000 so they could move forward with the second lab analysis. 
um, Coast to Coast ended up declining that several times. And then they also dropped off the map and refused contact with John. So this again led a majority of people to say, oh, well, that's because they're coming, you know, to learn that John is full of it and this, that, and the third. Um, well, not soon after that, John and his wife both developed really strange health conditions that they don't attribute to being anything due to their lifestyle. Uh, his wife developed a very dangerous thyroid disorder and John developed type 2 diabetes. And the onset to both of these came right around the onset of the visits from the Greys. So he says that they led a very healthy life. They were physically active, considering all of the labor that had to be done on the farm that had over 30 horses sometimes. Uh, he said that they ne neither of them smoked, drank, did any kind of drugs. Um, and despite all of this, their health gradually worsened. Um, poor John, actually. I know last time I was some confusion on my part about who had passed because on the Facebook there was a lot of kind of um, differing posts. Um, but I did find it was John that passed, unfortunately. He had a, a year hospitalization due to his illness that con continually worsened. Uh, he essentially wasted away and ended up succumbing to his disease and died. Um, and that left poor Joyce alone in the home that she still lives in with her rescue. Um, yet they're basically forcing her out of the property because she cannot afford to live there on her own. Uh, so Joyce to this day has a GoFundMe page up to try to help her afford to pay down what she owes on the ranch so that she can keep the property or at least keep the rescue going as long as possible. Um, that has not raised much money, unfortunately, to this time. But it is still up if anybody's listening and wants to go donate and help Joyce Edmonds. It is still up on, on their um, John Edmonds. I will definitely go don donate because that's not right. That probably is so many people that went to them to want to get all the information and interview them and all this stuff and be on the ranch and investigate. And then you don't want to help her when she needs help. So I'll, I'll donate some money. Amanda, do you have the link to that GoFundMe? I probably could find it. I don't know that I saved it, but I could definitely find it and forward it to you. It was not hard to find. And if anyone else goes down a rabbit hole on John Edmonds' Facebook page, it takes some scrolling because he has about probably close to 18 years of content on there. But he does post probably close to 40 different photos and videos of evidence containing lights on his property, strange lights in the air that he's attributing to being some kind of a portal, and then the wounds that him and Joyce both suffered, as well as a few photos of the aftermath of some of his attacks with the Greys. Awesome. And I'll also try to find the GoFundMe. I'm going to put it in my link tree on Instagram. So if anybody who is listening wants to go and like help her out, because she's obviously been through some crazy shit so um yeah I'll, I'll try to find it and put it there yeah that would be awesome it down and find it for you um and then you can share it um but yeah so i'm gonna get into this interview with him real quick i just want to read out a statement that john made on october 27 2011 this is kind of the height of the activity that went on on the property and i just want to read a few sentences because i found this extremely interesting that john has so much experience with these beings that he's traversed the way that they behave during situations, which is really interesting. So I just want to read this excerpt really quickly, and then we'll get into his interview where he talks a lot about his experiences and Joyce's experience with the gray. Um, so this is his excerpt. He says, I have heard and seen critters moving around on our enclosed sunroom. The west wall contains four large windows. The speed that generated by their movement, maybe up to three critters at once, actually made the glass in the double pane windows buzz and misalign in the frames to the point that the windows are now very difficult to close and lock properly without using a screwdriver to realign them. 
I believe that the first that the high frequency buzz is a side effect of their partial in phase or out of phase interdimensional travel. In a safe situation, critters descend cleanly from one transmission, I'm sorry, from one dimension to another. And what they perceive, I can't read it all today, I'm so sorry. This font is super tiny. In what they perceive as risky circumstances, they only physically materialize to a point of just crossing the dimensional physical threshold. The buzzing seems to occur at a quantum level at the, as they are partially in both dimensions at the same time. If they are suddenly startled, they will pull back out of phase and into their regular dimension. And if they feel safe, they will come completely into ours and the buzzing stops. This is the perfect opportunity to physically grab one and then hold on as hard as possible because they will try to bug out or phase back into their dimension again. So this claims, these are claims that John said is how he killed 18 of these greys during his time at Stardust Ranch because he would stay outside of these perceived portals and wait for this buzzing sound. And then he knew that they were coming and he could just grab them, which that's something that's just crazy to me. That is crazy. Oh my God. I wish I could have been there or been a fly on the wall. But how many times do we denote extraterrestrial craft presence to like electronic and malfunctions? And that fact that they have a high frequency buzzing, that leads me to believe that there's some kind of a electrical static somehow in there, that they're interrupting some kind of electrical field by doing that. So it makes sense because portals are openings of vast energy. So just something that very interesting to me that he pointed out that he notes a difference between whether they're eagerly hopping into our dimension from their dimension or whether they're kind of like one foot in one foot out that there's like an audible buzz when that doorway is being opened that's just crazy to me and it might even be something too like an infrasound that's known to be associated with like portals or vortexes um it's like a sound that you know humans can't hear but it makes us sick it makes us like um What's the word I'm thinking about? Um, like disoriented. We don't know where we are, you know, because exactly. um, that way a vortex or portal, if somebody like say, you know, dudes walking through the forest and in, in my eyes, I think that vortexes and portals are more in places where people are less travel. So like woods out in the mountains, you know, something like that, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, so the the fact that when a portal or vortex opens up anyone that's around that immediate area it makes you disoriented and almost just like kind of be shocked and stand there and then you don't know what happened so i think that that has maybe that sound too might be somewhat of an infrasound there could be both but that's a really great point i never thought of that that's a really great point it could be both though it could be an energy it could be an infrasound or it could be both together that's a good point that's the thing there's so many unanswered you know we answer all these questions and then it just leads to more questions <laughs> so if everybody's ready i would like to play it's about six minutes so if, if we need to cut it just let me know and i can cut it short but there's a lot of information about john's first-handed experience and it does lend a lot of gravity into what we know about grays so is everyone okay if i play that now Yes, play the whole thing because you're not going to stop and then wonder if there's something good we need to hear. So play the whole thing. Excellent. All right. I'm going to try to load it on my phone and see and hopefully it plays through. We'll find out. Now, Can everyone John, hear that? How did this all start? Like, we can hear it. You, you have- 
Well, okay, good. Alright, I'm gonna let it go play. This guy tell you there's monsters. You have somebody tell you it's haunted. When did you first start experiencing things and what was it? Well, I mean, we started seeing lights in the sky. We started seeing, like, all these orange orbs that kind of look like the Phoenix lights. We started seeing black triangles. We started seeing flying saucers, rods, you name it. I mean, it's, it, it's like, in concert for ETs and UFOs out here. Uh, it's just crazy. I mean, there's, I don't know what it is about the area, but they're out here on a regular basis. And, you know, I, I mean, don't take my word for it. You know, you can come out and look at it yourself and see it. Yeah, I mean, with the, uh, I know the, the Phoenix lights were going on out there, and I, I believe I heard you talk about how, were you with your wife when you saw those? Yeah, we were actually uh, cranking along in my Mustang uh, team convertible with the top down, watching them. And we were just, you know, they were kind of like on our way home. They went right over the ranch, you know, which in a way was kind of appropriate, I guess. Every every other ET UFO weirdness shows up there eventually. So, you know, why not the Phoenix Lines? Yeah, why not? All right, so when you're on the property, when's the first time that you, you actually saw either a UFO near or on the property or, you know, around that area or a gray? I know you've seen both. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the first we started seeing the UFOs, and that was within, like, a few days afterwards. And then uh, I actually had a dog, and she escaped, and she ran off the ranch and got out in the desert. So I went out to Jean looking for her, and I pulled over on the side of the road, got out, uh, walked up this embankment down the other side, and on the other side of it was a giant black triangle about 65 feet off the ground. And it made this really weird kind of like uh, weird humming kind of sensation. And I kind of like felt like you had a bass drum in your chest kind of just like reverberating. And uh, made all the hair on my arms stand up and on my head stand up. And uh, I thought, wow, I better go home and get a camera or a video camera or something. I remember swinging around to, to go and do that. Next thing I remembered, it was over an hour later, according to my watch, and I was back. I had the video camera turned on, it was hanging from my shoulder, and I can't remember anything that happened in between. And there's nothing on my video camera. I still have it. So you you went through some missing time then? Apparently. Wow. Uh, have you ever done any kind of regression or anything with that? I have. I think I remember you saying that you don't really talk about that though, right? Um, I'm kind of waiting for uh, a situation to materialize where I'm going to be doing a bunch of books and when those books come out I will explain a lot of the range stuff that you know sort of ends and dead ends right now because there's a lot that I can tell probably 80% of the story to the ranch I've never told um, part of it is because of PTSD part of it is just because of the fact that at some point um, you know, I, I know I'm going to have to tell the whole story, but I, I it, it's so incredible, it's so bizarre, there's so much more to it than what's come out, that, um, you know, I, I want to be able to, like, literally put the books out and then disappear. I don't want to have to sit around and deal with the consequences of being pounded over it, and, uh, you know, so that's kind of why I haven't said anything yet. Yeah, I understand. I was going to ask if you were planning on doing books to inform people the whole story kind of in, in order as it happened or not. Uh, so I guess that answers I'm that question. Negotiations. Yeah, I'm in negotiations right now to do movies and books and all that good stuff, but I really want to get moved, and I, I really just kind of am going to be fairly anonymous 
more information and stuff. And I've done, like I said, hundreds of these interviews. I always tell the same story. You know, I mean, you, you could probably line up all the interviews. There might be a few little differences here and there, but the information is always the same. And the stuff that's coming out in the books uh, is going to be ultra, ultra radically different. Well, I can't wait for that. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for those books to come out. When you came in contact with these greats, like physically in contact with them, was the first time you ever, you know, saw them in person, was it a, a, a nice meeting or was it more of a conflict? Because I know you've had two different, you know, sides of the coin here where some of them seem to be nicer than others. Um, there's no nice grace as far as I'm concerned. There's some that are just uh, pretty much... They don't do anything. They just kind of show up. They do their own thing. They don't try to attack. They don't hurt the animals. But then there's some really, like, I don't know, they're like gang members or something. They, they just, they, they've just got a chip on their shoulder and they're out for, you know, to, to do whatever they're out to do. And they have a real bad attitude and they're very aggressive. And those are the ones that I don't tolerate. And so I just made a blanket statement that if I see them, I try to kill them because, there's no talking to them. There's no reasoning with them. You can't do anything, you know, to try to, you know, make peace or end the situation. I've tried everything. I've even had people and ETs intercede on my behalf to try to tell them just to chill out, get the hell off the ranch. But it doesn't work that way. And at times we've had people out there that have seen as many as like 160 uh, or more of them at a time on the ranch. So, you know, it's a big threat. It's, it's, a, it's just nasty. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's a ton of them at one time. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And they're not playing around. I mean, that's the whole thing. They're definitely not playing around. All right, guys. So that interview took place in 2017. Uh, and it was about 55 minutes in length total. It was a conversation that took place between John Edmonds himself and Sasquatch Chronicles um, blog, which released like a podcast of sorts about the whole interview. So the whole interview goes on to explain how he perceives that they have an affinity for women and that 90% of the time they are more drawn to carrying out um, their, for lack of a better word, experiments on women uh, and especially their genitalia. So I learned a lot from that interview. If anyone wants to go listen to it, it's sasquatchchronicles.com slash Stardust Ranch with John Edmonds. And that's with hyphens between Stardust Ranch with John Edmonds. Um, Go check it out. It's super crazy. I can't even begin to explain everything that takes place on the interview, but it lends a lot of credence in his story because if he was just in this for the money, why not talk about it more vocally? Why not tell more of the stories? Why are you downplaying, not downplaying necessarily, but he had a lot of opportunities to sensationalize um, his experiences and he does not do that. So in my opinion, that lends a lot of credibility into it. I agree with you a hundred percent. And another thing is, is regarding the grays, you know, I like how he said he did like a blanket kind of theory that they're all not that you can't reason with them and i have to almost believe what he's saying on that because if you look at so many different ufo or alien abduction stories you see that they have no emotion they they don't have any emotion like when benny when um betty hill is screaming don't put that in my navel 
and it's saying oh it won't hurt but i but you almost have to you you almost have to think where they're coming from though because they're not built with feelings i don't think i think they're just built with what is my what is my agenda they're all given a job to do they're just something that wake up every day do their job whatever that is I don't even know if they go to bed and have a family i i don't think you know that i don't think that would be but they of course they don't have feelings and you can't reason with them because they're there to do one thing and one thing only and that is their job that they're sent to do it's almost like and that's something that, oh sorry go ahead sorry. no i was just gonna say that's something that i thought a lot about um was the potential that they may just not have the capacity to feel emotions maybe they don't have the capacity to that's understand I mean. and they understand that that's a human you know structure that's something that we know and perceive but maybe they don't have any ability to perceive that and that's why they oh no it's not going to hurt maybe they don't know what pain is and if you look into the research results you know their cells resemble that of grass so what if they're just simply alive and barely alive and able to function and able to have intelligence but with no emotional spectrum that's almost the most terrifying monster that you can conjure up in your imagination in my mind it's like they're coded like it doesn't yeah. seem like they have any sort of like humanistic qualities and like that's you know not surprising in my mind because obviously they're not from here they're otherworldly but in the sense of like them saying oh it's not gonna hurt number one how would they know and number two if if that's the case they probably don't have the same like capacity to feel like pain or anything like that it feels like they're genuinely just coded so that's interesting yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think that they're just, they're programmed at like on what to say. So like if somebody says, oh my God, that's going to hurt. They, they're smart enough to know what to say to make it sound like they are responding about a feeling, yes. but it's just what they're programmed to say. Yeah. I thought a lot about that after that comment. I also drew some similarities between what we know that John Edmonds pointed out about the vibration that he would feel when a when a terrestrial was coming in and out of our plane. And then he also mentioned that that shape, that triangle shape in the sky, which he has many photos of triangular, I don't want to call them ships, but some kind of object in the sky that's in the shape of a triangle. And it was emitting almost like a vibrational pulse that he could feel. So I really think that there's something to that. I'm really sad that John's not with us anymore, so he can't delve more into this. And I'm especially devastated for poor Joyce, who is now left alone to defend herself by herself at Stardust Ranch, while also being financially um, restrained and, and basically pushed out of her home. So yeah, I think we should all find out. Like, well, Courtney said she's going to find out about where that GoFundMe or how we can help donate. But you know, every little bit of something is something. Yeah, so I you know, I'm sure I can. I have it in my history somewhere, but I can send the link over. We can post it. Try to rally some donations for her. Um, Joyce, if you ever find this and are listening, I 100% believe you. I believe John, uh, and that's coming from a very true skeptic. So. Um, yeah, that's that's the story for John and Joyce Edmonds. I think you did a great job with that, Amanda, because I loved how you just ended it. 
with the whole I'm I'm usually a skeptic. I look with skeptic eyes, but you looked at the facts, you looked at the details and you made your own conclusion. And that's what I want from people to listen to all of our series that we do in our individual podcast. And granted, Amanda, yours is mostly based on fact, you know, because it's a true crime or how people got mauled by an animal or, you know, a, a fatal or a final destination kind of thing, you know, that they lost their life in. But you know, and um, I think, you know, I'm I'm one that does, I do cryptid stories, which, you know, those are, you know, people say there is, people say there isn't, you know, it's not like a, you know, a story that I've done about like a ghost story that is real, you know, but it's, we always want to give you the listeners, the facts, the details, and you make your own conclusion. So, um, next we're going to go to Courtney with Haunts Podcast. Um, she'll start off by just giving a brief summary of what happened in episode one, what she went over just to catch you up to speed, everyone. And then she'll go into her conclusion of her story. And of course, tell everyone what story that you did, Court. And then go ahead. You are up. Thank you. Um, so I did the Blind Frog Ranch, which, like Farah said, to recap really quickly, um, the Blind Frog Ranch is a property out in northern Utah in the foothills of the Uinta Mountains. Um, it's owned by Dwayne Ollinger and his son, Chad, who purchased the property back in 2018 with the idea that it was possible that gold of some type was buried underneath the property. There's about seven miles worth of, or not seven miles, two miles worth of caverns. It's about seven separate caverns that are connected by like small little holes for lack of better terminology. And they have on good judgment that there's gold somewhere down in those caves. But the issue with that is those caves are flooded and they don't have, or at least at the time that they purchased the property, didn't have a viable way to get into those caves all they knew was that it was possible that there was oxygen down there a safe way to get in because they came across blind frogs who had been living seemingly for like centuries down in these caverns they were blind and they were albino which indicated to them that you know they had never seen the light of day essentially so when they found these frogs they were like okay there's a safe way to get into this cave system and find the gold that's supposedly here but it seems like this property in a nutshell just didn't want them to find it didn't want them there at all um and there is we also went over kind of like the lore last time that we met where there's two separate theories on how this gold got here essentially because they think it's not natural gold they they believe that it's buried treasure essentially so The first theory, which in my opinion is the most sound, is that it's the Lost Roads Mind, which is essentially this legend of Native American lore that basically says this property, or there's a cave system that a man named, um, his last name was Rhodes, he found it essentially through the help of a Native American tribe that's in the area, and he mined it in order to give the money to the Church of Latter-day Saints. So he was a Mormon and 
he was basically commissioned to find the gold that was said to be here. And later on, the Allingers, they looked up mining records to try to figure out if that was like a viable theory in their quest to find this gold. And they actually found record that there were two mines on their property. And both of those mining contracts were under the last name Rhodes. And it was spelled the same way. So in my mind, that is the more like viable theory out of the two of them. Um, but they also mentioned that it is possible that it was ancient Aztec gold. They thought it was the treasure of Montezuma. And as we all know, that treasure is cursed. Um, I will say that theory is a little hard to wrap my head around. I know Vicky felt the same way too last week, just because of the sheer distance they would have had to travel to get the Aztec gold from, you know, the like, Mexico area that it was at all the way up to the northern plains essentially of Utah it's it seemed like there would have been better places along the way to to bury that treasure in my mind at least but those are essentially the two theories that they thought that this gold came from and it's also thought that the gold itself regardless of its origins were it's for whatever reason, cursed, whether that's because it's not being used or being sought after for the betterment of the Church of Latter-day Saints, or if it's ancient Aztec treasure that has always been cursed, we don't know. Um, but either way, the locals to the Uinta Basin and people who live close to the ranch think that this property is cursed, think that their whole project in and of itself is cursed, because like I ended last episode that we did, I kind of hinted that they've had a lot of really weird activity, a lot of very bad luck. They've almost, they've put their life in jeopardy, Farah, as you know, on a handful of occasions in search of this gold with like yes. little to no, little to no avail, unfortunately. So since I hinted at that last time, I kind of wanted to end our segment, at least on Blind Frog Ranch, with the weird activity that happens on the property. I want to talk about it in more depth because Amanda and Farrah, you guys mentioned at the start of this episode, as well as throughout the first episode, that there were links between Stardust Ranch and Skinwalker Ranch, y'all's two like projects, for lack of a better word. Um, yes. Would you guys mind just, there's three that I have in mind that I want to talk about, but, and I know we've kind of talked about it already, but do you guys mind just giving us a brief, like, rundown on what those links were just to remind the listeners because we kind of cut out throughout like obviously the majority of last okay so (laughs) and that's and that's the thing we have we have like uh 45 minutes that we're gonna try to get all this wrapped up in so yeah i'll go as quick as i can no no no, you're good you're good you're good you're good so the connections between okay so we already talked about the connections between stardust and skinwalker so now the connections between stardust skinwalker and blind frog but primarily blind blind frog and skinwalker is okay so these as i mentioned earlier they're only five miles apart courtney um there is okay so where these people had done uh, the dig at on Blind Frog Ranch to open up. They were looking for buried treasure. What they found, like she said, was like a cave system. Well, there's also cave systems over by Skinwalker Ranch, which oh, is are actually. They really? Yeah, I remember don't remember they, that. 
they're doing they were doing digging which you're not supposed to do at skinwalker ranch but they oh, were doing okay, yeah they yeah found, found some cave system too which are said to be linked to military tunnels maybe not linked as in they're supposed to go from a from a um a cave system to the tunnel but they're near them is what i'm trying right. to get out another remember the map that i found that john edmonds posted on his facebook and it was an old from like the 50s or 60s era map of a network of underground tunnels that ran all throughout everywhere from as oh gosh it was as far over as what illinois and then all the way to California, and it intersected a wide variety, and that was all right. underground tunnels. But if you think about it, but if you think about it, from from there to, like you said, California, um, down through Nevada, Utah, all of that, you wonder where's Area 51, where's Skinwalker, Stardust, Blind Frog, and where are all the ufo sightings the cryptid sightings so again going back to courtney's place so courtney um Dwayne had done a dig and supposedly mm-hmm. when they started digging and i watched the episode just the other night courtney by the way <laughs> but when the tornado like vortex came out out right. of the middle of nowhere i'm gonna spun. talk about that at the end because i thought it was super weird i watched that episode again the other night i rewatched the first season um yeah. but amanda i'm and, glad you brought it up just in the sense of like the cave system and those tunnels yes. the reason fair that i wanted to like ask you about it was because i was looking at that map you shared with us and i'm pretty sure those like there's two that kind of go over by where both skinwalker and and um blind frog ranch are located yes. and they're like I don't want to say they're like directly over it, but it, it's pretty damn close. I lined up a map of the United States on Google Maps with a pin on Stardust Ranch, and I lined it up to size with the map that I have. And it's not perfect because it's hand drawn, but it's as close as close can get. Um, I'll just say that. And who knows if that map too is even to scale, like the hand drawn map. Absolutely. So that's another thing to kind of, you know, take into consideration. But since we're limited on time, I'm going to kind of go through the weird stuff that happened. Because like you mentioned, you two mentioned towards the start of this episode, we have, like you said, links between skinwalkers on y'all's property, mutilations, and extraterrestrial experiences. In a nutshell, that's what you guys have noticed. And just like weird phenomenon, weather-wise. And those, obviously, with Skinwalker and Blind Frog Ranch being so close to one another are commonalities between all three of our ranches um, that I kind of wanted to dig into just so we can really discuss the links between all of the properties. So like Farrah and I have been saying, Blind Frog Ranch by line of sight is approximately five miles away from Skinwalker Ranch. So it's no surprise to me that they are often compared when it comes to their activity. It seems like every time I researched this topic, Blind Frog Ranch was just mentioned in a blurb next to Skinwalker Ranch, which I thought was interesting because they are truly nearly identical in in terms of like their strange activity, but they're also very different in terms of their like functionality for lack of better wording. Um, So let's get into the skinwalkers 
Um, I don't know if you guys came across like similar claims, but apparently skinwalkers are so common on this property that they can regular be, regularly be seen oh, wow. by everybody, not everybody, but so Dwayne Ollinger claims he sees them on the regular occasion. And it's to the point where they put up like security cameras around the property. They said it was to like deter trespassers. But in one of the episodes on their documentary on Discovery Plus, they claim to have captured one on camera. It's fair. Do you know the one that I'm talking about? It's like a guy who's, I want to say nude, which is disgusting, but he's on there like tree cam, basically like contorting his body and like breathing really heavy. And he just looks, I don't want to say deranged. He looks distressed for lack of better. I honestly don't know which one offhand you're talking about. The I, I think the only one I not even it's not even a video, so it's not even any comparable to what you're talking about. But no, where did you see that at? I wanna say it's I will say I don't necessarily believe it. I to me it looked to put it bluntly like somebody who may have been having a bad drug trip. Um because I will say oh. they also have a lot of trespassers on the property and Chad has like, I want to say two or three kids that live there. So obviously their safety comes first and they want to protect like the people who are living there. So I think that's one of the main reasons why they put these security cameras up on the property, but they, there's, there's another connection because, you know, Skinwalker has cameras all up over the property too. Oh, real quick. Another connection. I just, just speak. So I don't forget, you know how the one time there, when the guys were digging, on your on your ranch courtney mm-hmm. and there was that drone that flew up yeah okay. it's that episode it's the oh. very end of that episode they catch a guy on camera just like freaking out towards the end of their property and as they're like chad's running out to go and like get him to leave because the place that he, he and his oh, family no, lives i did see that i right. did see that now i know he, what you're talking about the place where he and his family lives is like right there. So he goes running off and Dwayne's calling after him, like, be careful, be careful. That might be a skinwalker. So he's more like concerned about that. And that's how they ended the episode. And that's where I really got like hooked into this property. But anyways, sorry to um, interrupt you there, Fair. Go ahead. No, I was just going to tell you that the, since we're on trying to, you know, put the connections out there, sorry, my birds, tweeting you can hear um she always has something to say but yeah we have that we have that vortex we have the drone the drone that flew up above Dwayne. same thing with skinwalker anytime they're doing any digging or researching out there there's always drones flying around and then when the people on those ranches like Dwayne or say Brandon Fugel from Skinwalker when they want to put up a drone those drones always get smashed and taken down it's just very weird it's like there's something out there that connects them which is why I wanted to do this story there's something more deeper that we can't pinpoint yet but I think what it has to do is an underground system of either militaries working with UFOs or in the UNA basin in the mountain, there is supposedly a base inside the mountain that of course goes down underneath too. But I think that's what the connection is because there's someone that's spying on 
skinwalker and blind frog to make sure that they know oh where where are they digging to are they going to be able to come and find our military tunnels or the ufo tunnels whatever it is but yeah go ahead i'm so glad you said that we'll get to it in a second but i'm i'm with you on the ufo kind of train and so so are the allingers just to like put that out there but more on that in a second i just wanted to briefly touch that there are also mutilations that are common on the property and as far as i can tell it's of cattle and i don't believe they have livestock on the property the whole operation is supposed to be a mining operation so i don't i think it's like cows are either coming to the property being mutilated drained of blood their body parts are being taken and they're left either they're left there on the property or the this cattle is coming to their property and i will say like it's out in the middle of like ranch country so it's entirely possible that these cows just found their way especially if it's not gated off accordingly like that happens where i live all the time like my neighbor's cows are constantly walking onto our property so i'm not saying that like the aliens picked them up and like dropped them there skinwalkers did that but it's just interesting to think that there that's a commonality on this property that doesn't even have livestock. So I don't know. I just think that that's yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. But like I said, I want to know what the connection is with that. Why, why aren't cattle being mutilated in um, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Right. Why, or even... why are they being mutilated out at Blind Frog? It, in that in that area the the Uinta basin what's what is that right and the other thing too is there's a ton of other places around like the north like west essentially that are said to be spiritual in terms like i live on an area like in an area that's said to be very spiritual very sacred and we don't have that kind of issue at my house as far as i know none of my animals and i have livestock none of them have had any such issue so I don't I don't know it's it's weird because it seems like it's just like you said isolated to this like little area, area. and but you know when I just said that and you were talking I was rethinking in my head what I just said think about that for one second Courtney and Amanda and Vicky think about that why are cattle mutilations only done out there but they're not done in Delaware they're not done in Florida they're not done in Pennsylvania, like I said. Mm-hmm. So think about it like this. Since Area 51 is out there, okay, and that's a military base, and we go back to President Truman, like I had said, that President Truman is known to have made a pact with the aliens that, hey, you can go ahead and take some of our people to experiment on to save your race or whatever it is you're doing with them help us get further for technology so isn't that funny that where a military base is there are a lot of ufo sightings there are abductions there's cattle mutilations horse mutilations all of that it's just funny so does that mean that the military is working with ufos and ufos are under that base remember they talked about before that seven level um base where that one guy phil that i you remember i talked to you about mm-hmm. he was choked by his own catheter and they said he killed I still, himself it freaks yeah. me out because i really just don't see how that's possible if you're like essentially paralyzed 
how exactly. you can do that to yourself. It doesn't but, make but sense. But think about it. It's a rubber catheter. So when you're pulling it, your own body is going to like, it's going to make you un undo it. Like, you know, let go. But like I said, if you think about why, where these cattle mutilations are, it almost goes with the whole, well, that does make sense then. Truman made a pact with the aliens. Look where they're at doing their experience. Oh, near Area 51? Well, that's crazy. Why isn't it on the East Coast? Why is it in California? But it's by a military base that's known for the myths of UFO crafts being down there and that the military and the UFOs are working or the aliens are working together and that there was a guy named Phil who walked down there and actually got his finger blown off by a laser thing because he was helping military guys get out of there because a fight had ensued between the aliens and the military. He grabbed him by the shirt pulled him into the elevator to save his life and shot but the military um the alien laser gun or whatever you whatever they'd had cut off his finger and then they go like i said in that one big press conference where it's considered like the deathbed confessions where they're saying oh yeah there's a seven level military base that's underneath by area 51 and that's the same thing that what's his name george knapp says um who's the other guy with the glasses the geek guy from the 90s bob lazar yeah it's bob lazar you know him and his story is so crazy. there you go right and there you go him too he worked there so there's the connection right there mm -hmm. there's the big question why is it only here that this is happening right and honestly you're going to kind of lose your hat here. And I'm sure you probably already know about this, Farah, but Amanda, Vicky, and anyone who's listening, the Ollingers, as well as the majority of people who live locally to these ranches, believe that there is a UFO possibly buried directly underneath Blind Frog Ranch. And like I said, I'm a little skeptical to the idea, but there is some scientific evidence that lends legitimacy to that claim. Um, specifically, this happened in the, like, energy zone that I mentioned last time where they have, like, just a lot of bizarre activity. Um, they got ground-penetrating radar, essentially, to look for gold. That was, like, their main goal, obviously. So they had these specialists come out to the property. They used ground-penetrating radar over several different areas on the property, including one area in the energy zone. And it was there that they found a very, very strange anomaly. The technician who's obviously very specialized in his field, I think you have to get at least a master's to work for like this company. He was like, I've never seen anything like that in all of my years working here. He claimed that he thought it was a large, some sort of metallic deposit. He couldn't say for sure what it was. Obviously the Ollingers were like, hopefully it's gold. But the guy's like, I don't know, like, it's strange. It's like, it doesn't look like that to me. But either way, the Ollingers start drilling down exactly where they believe it to be, where they saw it on ground penetrating radar. And they drill down, I want to say like 30 feet, and nothing opens up. There's no cave there. There's no, there's no metallic substance or deposit like the technician said. It was just like bedrock, 
essentially. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. And in my mind, that gives credence to the idea that there's something weird under there, number one, that could be metallic that maybe has like invisibility technology, you know, or maybe even possibly just something that can throw off our everyday technology, our everyday equipment, because they always say that about UFOs and extraterrestrial encounters. Your lights are going to be going on and off. Your electronics aren't going to work correctly. So who's to say that this isn't the same thing here, if that makes sense. So I just thought that was interesting in terms of their tech issues in the energy zone because they've had tech issues all around the property as we discussed last time. But it seems like here in this area where they found this strange anomaly buried underground that they have the majority of their issues and even get documentation of something being there that literally isn't there. So as far as the eye can tell. Um, So I feel like that kind of lends some credence to the idea that maybe the government is working out there. Maybe there is something buried beneath all of these properties. We don't know. We probably never will, unfortunately, but that might be a link between all of them. Um, I was just going to say real quick, there's another connection right there. Go for it. The, um, if you know, if you've seen anything about Skinwalker, you know that they did the ground penetrating radar out, radar out there too, and that they're supposedly a hundred foot long around that dimension mm-hmm. of something metallic underground, and any and their uh, their all of their equipment shorts out, um, and I mean it's the same thing with your ranch. So it's again, strange. Since it, it seems like whoever is like whatever's down there is trying to be protected by whether it's the land because the land itself has strange ways of fighting back like i was going to cover this in a second but you mentioned it earlier farah how they were out there drilling in the energy zone it may have even been on this occasion i can't remember but they were trying to drill down into the caves that they know to be under there. They've seen them on ground penetrating radar. They just, for whatever reason, can't get to them. Um, there, there was like a mini tornado on their property. And I'm telling you like wind that could pick up their like drilling equipment and throw it around the property. Like it wasn't just like a gust of like, oh, my hat flew off and the paper's flying everywhere. It's like taking their cameras. <laughs> it's taking their like small drills and obviously not like those bigger like you know writing equipment but in the sense of like their smaller equipment it's being thrown around and like I feel like I have a decent idea of wind I live in an incredibly windy area so do you Farah like that that's pretty intense so it just seems like to me there's there's something down there that is being tried trying to be hidden at least by the government maybe but also it seems like the land just doesn't want anyone to know. It's very bizarre, but I think yeah. I think honestly, there's a big chance that it could be that land could have been set aside for this pact between the U.S. and the alien nation, mm-hmm. because again, Blind Frog and Skinwalker are five miles apart from each other. They both had ground penetrating, uh, ground penetrating radar, and yes, they were very good people that have research under their belt there they have the the right certificates or degrees they got the right training to work these things don't you think it would just be really easy courtney for them to say or bring someone in to say 
oh, is, is there some type of mineral deposit down there? Mm-hmm. Oh, somebody, all you got to do is bring a geologist out. Come on. Or a rock or a rock right. person. But oh, they have their own geologist, no. and he's like, no, this is fucking weird. Exactly. <laughs> so. This is, so it almost goes, so then you start asking yourself again, okay, what's going on out there? It's either military, it's either us, U.S., or aliens, but also, mm-hmm. why can't it be both? What, you right. don't think a president is corrupt? Really? <laughs> Really? Let's take a look at who's in office right now. Okay. <laughs> so you want to talk about fucking corrupt politicians? There you go. Come on. I'm sure Truman was a very nice gentleman. You know, it was back in the day, but come on. Come on. Right. All of a sudden we go from every time that we were trying to get up in space and a rocket blew up. Come on. We're NASA and we can't even build a fucking rocket to get us to the moon. But yet... <laughs> After Roswell, after the supposed pact, that was in 1947, around those years right there, all of a sudden UFO sightings and abductions started happening in the 50s and 60s. And Mm -hmm. guess what? Five years later, a rocket goes to the moon without a hitch. Interesting. Suspicious. If I've ever heard it, you're damn right. Right. Um, okay, well, just to end this, I did want to let you guys know, in case you guys were interested, um, we can go to Blind Frog Ranch. They offer several different tours, including a VIP one that's private. Um, it does make me a little skeptical to some of the claims because it sounds like they're trying to get money, and obviously they have a TV show. But I'd still like to go. Um so if you guys are interested, let me know. But yeah, yeah that, that in a nutshell totally is like the weird stuff that's happening on the property. And there were a lot more links to Skinwalker Ranch specifically than I had originally thought. So that was oh, hey, I would insight, take it, I would take it one step further. We can go and camp. We'll go and stay somewhere by Blind Frog, like a hotel or whatever. But guess what we're doing one night? We're going to take freaking tents out to the area where the skinwalkers are and UFO sightings. We're going to camp out with freaking, you know, like a fire pit and everything. I'm going to bring my ghost hunting equipment. We're going to do it up. (laughs) Yep. EVP recorder, everything. Spirit box. um, I have a, um, I have a parabolic mic. I have, oh, I have, I have tons of apps. I have a thermal camera. There you go. That would be helpful. So see, let's do one thing at Blind Frog, but then, you know, we can't go on Skinwalker because, of course, yeah. it's, you know, it's owned by Brandon Fugel. But um, but let's do what hardly anybody does. Spend the night out at where the Skinwalkers are seen and UFO and aliens are seen. I would yeah. do that. Again, I'm someone that I'm not just going to talk about a story or talk about, you know, other investigations. I investigate myself because I want to know. I want to prove it to myself. Right. And Fair, you mentioned this like probably like two months ago now when we first started talking about this and I was like, oh, we shouldn't say skinwalkers. And you were like, no, I want to experience everything. And I feel like that's very telling to just like who you are as a researcher and a storyteller. Um, 
just because it's true. Like you want those experiences. You want to be able to say for yourself. So yeah, if we can go, I'm down. I'm down. Let's do it. Let's do it. So how much do you have to go so we can get Vicky in to go ahead and tell her awesome story? Because I know it's always going to be awesome. But about Roswell. Me? No, like, yeah, I was asking. Oh, like, I'm sorry. I thought you were asking go? her how much she has. <laughs> My bad. No, I'm no, that I was, was it. That was the end of it. I tried to keep oh. it shorter because I was worried we may run out of time. But Awesome, awesome. Well, I think, too, with, you know, the, the fact that we got started with just us, we might have ran over a little bit from talking because, you know, we were just going on with, a, going on with our bad self. But next is the lovely, the most thoughtful, caring human being that does a phenomenal job at finding the history of all things spooky. Vicky from Mrs. Spooky Obsessed. Let's give her a round of applause, girls. Uh-oh. I think we're having what yeah, I wanted to give you some cheering there, Vicky. Woo! Yay yay! <laughs> All right. So, Vicky, um, I know we don't have much time now. There's like 20 minutes, but, you know, maybe if it doesn't kick off, we'll just keep rolling with it. If it does, then, hey, we got a new series that's going to be starting in May. But um, what Vicky did last time was her um, her paper that she pulled was for talking about skinwalkers in general. And um, this time, since there wasn't much after she did a very long story and it was thorough, it was detailed, it was so informational, but I am hoping to put together the four times that we were kicked out, putting them all together into one episode and then post them and all the girls will have it for their own respective podcast to post as an episode as well but um vicky she's going to be talking about roswell because i think that it does have a lot to do with these ranches area 52 or 51 the area everything so vicky take it away girl hi thank you um i appreciate that uh Farrah. and it's quite interesting that you gave me the assignment for roswell so i remember growing up i heard like on TV so many things about Roswell and so recently when I tried doing the research over it I just kept coming up across like nothing but all these articles I guess with the cover-up that the whole thing that the supposed crash that happened in in 1947 it was all a fake it was a ruse it wasn't anything so scary you know and and I thought it was weird so let me go ahead and read to you what I found. So we're we're aware that on July 8th, July 8th, 1947, the, there was an unidentified flying object that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. So a lot of government-related articles, they all claim the U.S. Army Air Forces had this sort of accidental incident involving high-altitude balloon and some test crash dummies along with it and according to Britannica this led like many conspiracy theorists to believe this was like uh, more than a major cover-up by our own government 
agencies and that this weather balloon was indeed an actual UFO. You know, it wasn't, an, it wasn't a U, uh, like it wasn't this damn balloon that they want to claim it was. It was act- actually something ET. So the story is that there was this debris recovered and the same U.S. military, again, they claim this sort of like these random objects found in the ranch belong to this flying balloon. And in 1994, it was revealed to the public that this supposed balloon belonged to a top secret project called Project Mogul. I, I'm not too sure if you guys are familiar with that. that. That was the first for me. And the purpose of this was to detect Soviet nuclear bomb tests. Um... It almost makes sense because around that time, we kind of had like the start of the Cold War in 1947. I mean, I, I don't know if they want, they really want to be able to tie it to that. I mean, it's all happening in the same year, so maybe it, it makes sense, but I'm not too sure. Everyone has their idea. So since there was this, you and you mentioned it earlier, Vera. Um, since there was this flying saucer craze going on in 1947, so there was this rancher named W.W. Mack, nickname Brazel, he found some unusual debris near Roswell, New Mexico in June 1947. Objects were of tinfoil, rubber strips, and sticks. And it was until the following month he took these items to the Roswell sheriff and guess what the police department did you know they they contacted the roswell army airfield RAAF, and soon after RAAF issued a press release stating that a flying disc had been retrieved from a local ranch weird that they would they would you know kind of type it out that way so the roswell daily record immediately picked up the press release and on july 8th a story was printed that read RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. Like that was literally the title of their newspaper. Immediately, the, mili- the military announced that the saucer or quote saucer had actually been a weather balloon with a radar target, which was a box kite made out of foil paper fastened to a balsa wood frame i'm not too sure if you guys are familiar with that like there were some youtube videos like showing these black and white supposed you know balloon testing so roswell morning dispatch made a new claim on july 9th 1947 uh, 1947 entitled army debunks roswell flying disc as world simmers with excitement you know it was such a huge explosion at the time wasn't it an interview with Brazel, you know, stated that he did not believe the debris was from a weather balloon. He he truly believed that it was actually something extraterrestrial. Although this so-called incident faded, the interest with UFOs and alien life uh, life force did not like it, it. It stayed continuous. That to this very day, we're talking about it, right? So the supposed site of an ET crash in 1947 draws thousands of visitors to its annual UFO encounter festival held only in July. Like, did you guys know? Does that happen annually still? 
Um, I actually tried looking up information and supposedly there wasn't going to be much going on this year. But that was one side. I didn't get to uh, dig into like the actual website to see if they were going to have a festival this this summer. I hope so. I would love to go to that. <laughs> I feel like that's another place we should add to our list. Yep, definitely like our little planned out road trip. Now, Vicky, can I ask, during your research, were you ever able to deduce why the government um, so-called would have put dummies in a weather balloon? Because that seems really counterproductive. Like, what purpose could it serve? To be quite honest, I did look that up, too. I mean, the first thing I did was actually go on YouTube to see if I could find, like, a... Uh, like a historical search on like Roswell and one of the videos I don't remember the name of it it, it it was like showing everything black and white that all these scientists they were literally out in a field like throwing these box like uh, weather balloons up in the air and they were so the in the shape that they were in honestly there were no dummies inside them like and they were only yay big and I, I found it weird it did not make sense it doesn't make sense to me either i can't imagine what purpose that would serve because you're not getting anything out of doing that it's just funny i mean let's be honest look what just happened in our country a month ago we get a, a weather balloon well supposedly a weather balloon from china that's allowed to go ahead and fly all the way across the united states before we knock it down and then there's three other and they never came out and said if they were balloons. They just said un unidentified objects. So, I mean, you know, why would you put people in a weather balloon? A weather balloon is supposed to, it's not supposed to be for carrying people exactly. to do weather right. analysis, I just think you know? But like I said, we know that the government is very good at trying to, you know, they think we're stupid because like, you know, I, I think Vicky, you can agree when the Roswell crash happened, <laughs> you, you go in, in, in like a few hours and it hits the newspaper stand that it's a saucer. And then 24 hours later, the next news report that comes out, it's a weather balloon. No, it's not. Because if you watch, there's one, it's a, um, investigative special josh gates i'm sure you've heard of him josh gates from expedition unknown or expedition x well there the letter that that one guy that's bending down holding a piece of tin foil there's a letter in his hand they were able to actually enhance that uh do different kind of color contrast to bring out the typed words that were on that letter even though you can't see it with your naked eye when you look at that. And there were things in it like the word saucer, beans, things like that. So the guy's sitting there right there just smiling, taking a picture of some tinfoil on the floor while he has a letter in his hand that is pretty much the government saying, hey, we need you to go do this photo op because of this saucer that we found with three dead beans in it but go and smile for the camera, buddy. They're, they're very good at that. Yeah, so, and um, what else I gathered was uh, Brazel gathered the debris and he hid them underneath some brush, you know, the day of when he found this, like all these random stuff. 
you know, he hit them underneath a brush to dispose of it. He had no idea of the ongoing flying saucer craze at the time. So Saturday night comes around and he heard about like silver flying discs and in in his and I'm sorry. He made his report to the local sheriff. So um according to this one article, Roswell is nearby the army field and so Roswell was and Roswell was actually founded as a trading post in 1871 by Van C. Smith but he named it after his father named Roswell it was developed as a ranching and agricultural center supported by irrigation systems and so the Walker Air Force Basin established in 1941 and discovery of oil and natural gas in the 1950s stimulated Roswell's economic growth. I mean, I can imagine you're kind of like, well, that doesn't really have to, doesn't have much to do with it, but I just kind of wanted to add that in there because like I said, um, I the story was a bit perplexing to me about this guy brazel like he like the story is is that he finds the tin foil and all this stuff but then he doesn't do anything you know immediately with it what he's what he does he picks up all this stuff he puts it away basically in the bush and doesn't do anything with it until he hears something about it like about two nights later and then he goes to the police the police goes to the army air force claiming all this stuff but then the 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 roswell daily report kind of like they make their own story about it and that's where the army immediately made another press saying like oh you know it's been debunked there's no such thing as a as a ufo being discovered nothing of the sort you understand what i'm saying like yeah i get what you're saying like a back and forth thing and it was kind of frustrating because as i said earlier i tried going through youtube to see if i could find like these these shows that i used to watch growing up about roswell and i wasn't getting it and one of the videos i caught was donald trump and i was like wait a minute like and that's the reason why i put his story out there on my on my Instagram, I was like, wait, what the hell? What does Donald Trump have to do with this? So it was just like a 30 second thing. And so it's Junior asking, you know, his father about like, oh, Roswell, is it real or not? And Donald Trump is like, I can't say much. You know, it's, it's you know, it's classified information. Like, and that's why I had entitled it, what does the former president know about Roswell, New Mexico? Is it real? Is it is it a ruse? Like, well, what is it? What does this man fucking know about? Like, well, if I might say something, Vicky, you're right about the whole what presidents say because every time that we elect a new president, what's in the first week when you start watching, you know, when the media starts, you know, um, you know, doing little short stories about all oh, the new president that's in office, what's one of the first questions? that the media or the reporters will ask a new president is there it's their family their friends everybody will ask them are there aliens are there aliens was john f kennedy 
Was he really shot by Lee Harvey Oswald or was it the government? Those are like the two things that people want to know. And it's funny. They can't say anything because it's classified. Why is it classified? Because it's real? Well, yeah. Because if it wasn't real, then you would have no problem saying anything. But, of course, since a few years ago, it came out showing that the government spent $22 million on a UAP, you know, uh, investigation. Why, why would you spend $22 million if it wasn't real? Again, because that's taxpayer money. That's not your money. That's taxpayer money. So, apparently, something is real there. Well... I, I have a question for all of y'all. So we're on this one end of the spectrum of like the government keeping all this UFO thing real keep, uh, real secret. But how do you think society would react if the government were to say, yes, what happened in Roswell was actually real? You know, there was aliens discovered. How do you think the world would react to that do you think in some way it would still be kind of like we have a lot of believers and we would still have a lot of skeptics and doubters or do you think in some way it would change you know the perspective of like religion altogether like oh you know what god is not real you know what aliens are real so now we're going to start worshiping these beings that do come from yeah because uh it, it, it's something i can see i mean how, what would you think of that I feel like it would have to, I'd like to think that we would change our perspective in some way to be a little bit more open to the idea of extraterrestrial life. And I will say, I feel like a lot of people are more open to that than say like ghosts or cryptozoology, unfortunately. But I still think that there's going to be people who are not open to that idea. Maybe that's because it scares them or maybe just they've always been a skeptic and that's who they are at heart and they just can't wrap their mind around the government being truthful about that if they've been lied to on X number of occasions. Um, so I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough, it would be a tough line to, to draw because just because we're being told one thing doesn't necessarily mean it's true, you know? Definitely. Amanda, you go ahead and say your opinion because we just got a few minutes left, but we want to hear it. Honestly, I was verbatim what Courtney said. So, Okay. Well, Vicki, I have to, I have to say that, um, especially the way the world is now with, um, you know, the way people think, I mean, we either got a bunch of cream puffs or we have men that aren't allowed to be men anymore. We have women that base their worth off their looks and their followers. So we don't really have a lot of good thinking people to really sit down and, and think about, you know, is it real? Look at the evidence. We just, I think the main problem is we have people that put together UFOs and aliens as the same thing. A UFO is an unidentified flying object. We don't know if there's something in there. We don't know if that's a drone and there's a mothership somewhere and that they're only sending these ones down. So people end up saying, no, I don't believe in UFOs because they're saying really, no, I don't believe in aliens. But again, I believe that there's two separate. So yes, I do believe that there are UFOs and I do believe that the government should say anything because if people think they're so 
independent today and they're so strong and they don't need anyone and this and that because you know that that's how the word the world is working today everybody's a big badass well then we should be able to tell everyone because you know you're all you know big and mighty and nothing will ever hurt you and this and that no there's different kinds of aliens too we have to watch there's some that are fighting for our planet some that are wanting to take over our planet so again as long as those two can be separate ufos and aliens then i don't think people will go crazy over the ufo thing now the alien thing People might go a little weirded out on that. I don't know for sure. But UFOs, I don't think people would be scared as much as maybe others would think. Just because it's just a craft you're talking about. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. No, I get you. It's, it, that's the only thing that makes sense, honestly. Well, I think that tonight... Aren't you girls happy we did not get kicked out at all? We yeah. might get kicked out in like 30 seconds, but <laughs> um, but anyone who has listened tonight, real quick, our next series is going to be in May. It's entitled The Virginia City Chronicles. It's going to be each of us having a haunted place in Virginia City. We're not going to tell you what it is, of course. But other than that, anyone that missed this live stream, we will be editing this info. I mean, that's not really anything to really edit because it went great. Yeah, Aaron. But it, yeah, <laughs> we're just gonna air it. It's on now. We'll also put it up for just it being a general podcast to listen to on everyone's respective podcast. And um, I think everyone did a great job. We stayed on track exactly what we wanted to do. Do it raw not you know not so independent where you know we just talked you know and and just told our story we were engaged i hope everyone that listened loved it and um we thank you for listening and again all you girls it looks like the on air is still rolling a little bit so if you want to go ahead and just tell everybody one more time about your podcast where to find it we'll close it out vicky you go first uh, sure. Actually, my podcast, I did shut it down starting since last night. I am redoing, renewing some stuff. So my podcast, uh, at least for the rest of April, is going to be under construction, basically. I'm going to help you get it up and rolling ASAP, Vicky. I got you this week. <laughs> going back in May, just um, right now, there was some stuff going on and I was like, nope, let me go ahead and um put a stop to it momentarily it's not going to be long term it's just until may so there you go and, and, but if you want to know about some stuff just go to my instagram you know i i make sure to input some information on my awesome thank you vicky go ahead um amanda all right well again i run one nothing podcast uh if you like gory grizzly stuff stories of people who met their fate in um awful ways peppered with a little dark humor definitely the podcast for you um we are on all major podcast platforms we just recently got approved to be on apple Podcasts, which was like the last one we were missing so yay i know it was a battle i had so many formatting things wrong and i'm not tech savvy but we got through it is what matters um and then we have episode five of my podcast which is um Courtney actually recommended this one to me. It was a victim I've not heard of before. And let me tell you, it's a gnarly one. So 
Um, sit in for that. It's going to be next Tuesday, uh, the 11th, or no, today's the 11th. So the next one after that. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> think straight on my dates right now. Um, you but they know I will be listening. Tuesday, yeah, every other Tuesday at 5, we post a new one, um, and we put hours of research into ours. So just take a listen if you like it. Rate us, you know, do all that. <laughs> right, and Courtney. Yep. So like I said at the beginning, I am um, I run Haunts Podcast. You can check us out on every major distribution network. Mainly, I feel like it's probably easiest to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. Um, I'm also on like iHeartRadio and other stuff. Um, and then you can follow me on social media at HauntsCast or check out the website HauntsCast.com. Um, but yeah, that's it. Awesome. And of course, um, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at The Conversation Cabin. Um, if, if you have a scary story that you'd like to share on my podcast, The Conversation Cabin, email me at theconversationcabin at gmail.com. And other than that, I hope everyone enjoyed tonight. Keep looking for our new series, which is going to start in May, the Virginia City Chronicles. And until next time, cabin crew and other listeners, explore your strange.